Welcome to the Steve Barkley Ponders Out Loud podcast. As instructional coaches and school leaders, you have a challenge to guide continuous teacher growth that promotes student success. This podcast looks to support you with strategies from our experienced guests and insights that I've gathered across many years. I'm thrilled you're here. Thanks for listening. Expectations as a Foundation for Coaching, Part 2. What follows is a presentation and conversation that was recorded at Nicole Turner's Coaching Summit 2023. In Part 1, found in the previous podcast, Nicole and I explored continuous teacher growth, teaching as a team sport, and planning backwards. In Part 2, we'll look at the early examination of why teachers deserve coaches. We'll also address the principal-coach partnership, and we'll close out with a look at building coachability among a staff and the need to overcome the fear of finding out. I hope you enjoy. So why is this so hard? Well, I'm going to give you the history to the earliest part of my, uh, my, my coaching career. This first article from Bruce Joyce and Beverly Showers uh, appeared in, uh, in 1982, and it, it really caught my attention. They interviewed college football coaches, and they compared college football coaches' interviews with the interviews of staff developers uh, in school. Uh, and I, I love the I love this uh, quote that I've placed on here for you. Athletes do not believe that mastery will be achieved quickly or easily. As teachers, we've often behaved as though teaching skills were easily acquired. And the degree to which we allow that to continue, we've probably misled teachers. Uh, to, to me, that that that's a critical part that teachers know that as coaches, uh, I, I I understand that. So I, I want to jump it from there to a, a more up to date one here with uh, uh, Atul Gawanda, who's a heart surgeon, and he makes this connection in his work to coaching. Now the contrasting view comes out of sports. And they say, you are never done. Everybody needs a coach. Everyone, the greatest in the world, needs a coach. So I tried to think about this as a surgeon. Pay someone to come into my operating room, observe me, and critique me. It seems absurd. Expertise means not needing to be coached. So then which view is right? I learned that coaching came into sports as a very American idea. In 1875, Harvard and Yale played one of the very first American rules football games. Yale hired a head coach. Harvard did not. The results? Over the next three decades, Harvard won just four times. Harvard hired a coach. <laughs> and it became the way that sports works. 
But is it necessary then? Does it transfer into other fields? I decided to ask of all people, Itzhak Perlman. He had trained the Dorothy Delay Way and became arguably the greatest violinist of his generation. One of the beautiful things about getting to write for The New Yorker is I call people up and they return my phone calls. <laughs> and Perlman returned my phone calls. So we ended up having an almost two hour conversation about how he got to where he got in his career. And I asked him, I said, why don't violinists have coaches? And he said, I don't know, but I always had a coach. You always had a coach? Oh yeah, my wife, Toby, they had graduated together from Juilliard and she had given up her job as a concert violinist to be his coach, sitting in the audience, observing him and giving him feedback. Itzhak, in that middle section, you know, you sounded a little bit mechanical. What can you do differently next time? It was crucial to everything he became, he said. Turns out there are numerous problems in making it on your own. You don't recognize the issues that are standing in your way, or if you do, you don't necessarily know how to fix them. And the result is that somewhere along the way, you stop improving. And I thought about that, and I realized that was exactly what had happened to me as a surgeon. I'd entered practice in 2003, and for the first several years, it was just this steady upward uh, improvement in my learning curve. I, I, I watched my complication rates drop from one year to the next. And after about five years, they leveled out. And a few more years after that, I realized I wasn't getting any better anymore. And I thought, is this as good as I'm going to get? So I thought a little more and I said, okay, I'll try a coach. So I asked a former professor of mine who had retired, um, his name is Bob Osteen, and he agreed to come to my operating room and observe me. The case, I remember that first case, it went beautifully. I didn't think there would be anything much he'd have to say when we were done. Instead, he had a page of dense with notes. Just small things, he said, but it's the small things that matter. Did you notice that the light had swung out of the wound during the case? He spent about half an hour just operating off the light from reflected surfaces. Another thing I noticed, he said, your elbow goes up in the air every once in a while. That means you're not in full control. A surgeon's elbow should be down at their sides, resting comfortably. So that means if you feel your elbow going in the air, you should get a different instrument or just move your feet. It was a whole nother level of awareness. And I had to think, you know, there was something fundamentally profound about this. He was describing what great coaches do. And what they do is they are your external eyes and ears providing a more accurate picture of your reality. They're recognizing the fundamentals. They're breaking your actions down and then helping you build them back up again. After two months of coaching, I felt myself getting better again. And after a year, I saw my complications drop down even further. It was painful. I didn't like being observed. 
And at times I didn't want to have to work on things. I also felt there were periods where I would get worse before I got better. But it made me realize that the coaches were onto something profoundly important. Any response on that, Nicole? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed watching you watch it. So, um, no response, but that, (laughs) as I was thinking, I'm saying, here's my response. As I was thinking about this, this would be an amazing opening for introducing your role as a coach. Yeah. This would be an amazing opening. It will just plant that seed, Um, you know, kind of when we do our lesson plans and when we work with teachers, you know, you have to get that. um, What is it? Um, Why am I going blank this morning? You know, it's the grabber, right? The attention grabber. The the, the first thing that we do in a lesson plan. Um, This right here is what I would share. at a new building. Like I absolutely would love that. I will share that at a new building and then go in to talk about how I can help you, what it is that I could do, all of those things. So it it's uh it's available on YouTube. Yes. Um e- easy to access for folks. <laughs> absolutely love it. And I'm gonna go watch the entire thing probably today. <laughs> uh so I I wanted to uh Go go back. So what what you just saw him talk about there is down the bottom of the 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 uh, my diagram again here. So take Joyce and Showers saying that you know the uh, uh, the athletes knew that it's a major investment to get a small improvement. Take uh, take uh, uh, uh comments that as a surgeon af- af- after seven years wanting to get better required that 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 uh, that coaching it really says how important the bottom of my diagram here is to support teachers and uh, when Joelle and Killian uh, uh, wrote about this in her famous article on light coaching and heavy coaching uh, I, I just want you to catch the uh, the words there that I that I put in red from from her quote. Heavy coaching uh, means robustly engaging in the work of coaching with a laser-like focus on improving student learning. Yeah, that's the thing the coach is constantly um, mm-hmm. uh, putting putting on the on, on the plate back back in front of the teacher. And for a teacher, uh, you know, if you uh, when you listen to him say it didn't feel good. <laughs> you know, it, it didn't feel good to make some just just last just last week. I'm working with a with with a, uh, a teacher. She's the head of the uh, phys ed department, and so she wanted to model coaching uh, for her department so that she could get them started coaching each other. So I did a pre-conference with her that we recorded over Zoom. She recorded a little piece of her lesson, and then we uh, on a video, and then we did the uh, we did the post-conference live in in front of her her uh, staff, and. Uh, when she's as she's watching herself on video, it was a uh, it was a volleyball. I'm sorry, it was a, a badminton class. 
And she had made a big deal with the kids that whenever they they left the court, they had to walk around the outside because if they cut across the court, they might get whacked by a uh, by by a racket. So she's watching the video and she catches herself three times walking through the middle of the court, doing exactly what she had just made a big deal with the kids on, on what it was that they uh, what it was that they uh, that they shouldn't do. And the the power of her vulnerability uh, with with her uh, with, with her uh, uh, department uh, was powerful uh, mm -hmm. in, in seeing that happen. Uh, take it take it uh, uh, another step then in order to have that focus on on student achievement that Joellen talks about the principal and coach expectations the principal and coach partnership becomes really important and uh, here's a piece that uh, that Jim Knight wrote back in in 2009 coaches must understand fully what the principal's vision is for school improvement. And the principal needs to understand fully the interventions that the coaches have to have to offer teachers. So my, uh, my, my, my simplistic version of this, it's the job of the coach to make the principal look good. It's the job of the principal to make the coach look good. Yes. It, it, and, and the teachers are going to benefit from that. And really, the kids are going to benefit from that. Uh, everybody seeing that we're on the same page, uh, uh, moving in the same direction, uh, be becomes critical. So yeah, I'll you just you just took that out of my out of my head because this is one thing I always say. Um, I, I I I have a picture when I do a, a a keynote. I mean, a, this one particular presentation that I work with principals on. Um, and in that, I have the picture of a boat and, you know, it's the, all of us and they're rowing, right? Uh -huh. And so it's always like one person can't be rowing in the opposite <laughs> direction, you know, but the leader is also rowing and guiding. If you notice that the the person they have, they're, they're the leader, they're rowing and they're guiding at the same time. And I always say that that's the the principal's role, right? But the coach is that one little person right there that's, that's, you know, right there and they're rowing just along with them. So everybody has to be rowing in the same direction. Yeah. Love that. So uh, every summer I, I, I repost a blog with some modifications mm -hmm. on what I call the uh, summer conversation for the coach and principal to have. And uh, I just put one uh, sample one up here. But if you go to my website and you just look for uh, for summer conversations, you'll find these. And I, I made up a set of questions for all the different scenarios. So I got a set of questions for if you're the coach and you got a new principal. I got a set for if the principal's been there a while, but you're the new coach. Maybe you were both there last year. That's what this set is. Then there's another set if you're both new. Uh, but it's it. I think the summer's a great time to knock out an hour and a half of going to lunch together or over coffee and be getting that that conversation of uh, of getting on the, on the on the on the same page. Yes. So if Love I'm okay it. if I'm okay uh, time wise here Nicole I, I got just one last one that's a new one for me uh I'll uh, I'll plow, plow through here for folks. Um I was just recently introduced to the concept of uh fear of finding out. 
and the, the short term for that is fofo <laughs> and fofo. Uh, we go call it fofo <laughs> <laughs> and uh uh, a, a colleague a colleague sent me a, a piece on it and just said, hey, Steve, I think you'd find this interesting. And the very same day that I got the piece, I was uh, working with two instructional coaches who were struggling with uh, teachers uh, not investing in the data review conversations that they were having. And I thought, wow, you know, could it be this this fear of finding out? So the term fear of finding out uh, originally came from the, the medical field. And so it's the person who's got the ache and pain. They know something's wrong, but they're not going to go to the doctor uh, out of fear of finding out what it is that the, the doctor is going to uh uh, go, going to point out. So I started thinking about, you know. Am I going to a PLC meeting looking at student work, but not really sure? I I, I want to find out. I I don't, I, want, I don't want to make that 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 leap. Am, mm -hmm. am I keeping the Am I keeping the door closed? Or or the one I like is the people who say to instructional coaches, you know, I, I'd love to have you come in my room, but I, I have no idea what to ask you to look for. Okay, so mm -hmm. if that's the case, tell me to look for something because <laughs> you, you if if you don't have if you if what you're telling me is you have no idea of where you would like to create a better outcome than what you're now getting, then you really do need somebody to uh, to, to 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 help you help you find that out. So in in this uh, in this article that I found, they they talked about three reasons that people might have that uh, fear of finding out. Uh, 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 one being that they they won't be able to deal with the problem if they find it or they're overwhelmed. I already got I already got enough things to deal with. I, I don't want to fear one more coming up or I just don't want to take the responsibility. Uh, and, and you know that 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 kind of hit me as one of the 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 whole data uh, review thing with instructional coaches. Um, I, I find that if you uh, check the research and you can you can look on my blog, just search under data reviews. I've I've posted a couple things where they have found out that coaches' time spent in data review meetings does not deliver uh, much of a payoff for all okay. the investment in the coach's time that it takes. And so, figuring out how we how we approach that differently, where people want to find something because they want to find something that would assist them in 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 moving things ahead. So I tie all this into what 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 I've labeled as as, as coachability and and if you're looking to increase coachability in the building then you're creating an environment where people are comfortable with discomfort. So I I I, I sometimes I'll train coaches uh, you know the your role in the building is to be sure that teachers have sufficient discomfort and they 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 all they all kind of uh they'll kind of kind of laugh about that well if 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 there isn't discomfort it means people aren't being conscious so when you look at the diagram here if you're all the way down at the bottom when you're unconsciously unskilled you you, you don't have any discomfort now, when right. you make the discovery of what you're missing, that's where the discomfort comes from. Yes. So, so coaches can't take away teachers' discomfort, or the teacher doesn't grow. So, 
what we've got to do instead is we've got to create an environment where teachers are comfortable having that discomfort, but because they know that discomfort is a sign of, 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 uh, of growth potential. And I find it really interesting because teachers totally get it with kids. Teachers yes, I was thinking huh? huh? that. I need a classroom environment where kids are comfortable with discomfort. Yes. If, if you're, <laughs> it, 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 I, I worked with a math teacher and he keeps telling the kids, if I send you the, to the board to do a problem and you can do it, I gave you the wrong problem. Mm-hmm. Because what, now what I did was assess. But you, if you went to the problem and, and did, if you went to the board and did a problem that you already knew how to do, you really didn't learn anything. So my job as a teacher is to be continually finding that, that, that next problem that raises you to that, that next level, that that's the piece that's going to cause your, your, uh, your growth. So now I got to create a classroom environment where we can feel good about making mistakes. I, I'm, I'm going to learn a language. I can't learn a language without mispronouncing words. So right. I'm going to mispronounce some words. Everybody's going to laugh and, and we'll laugh together because we've created that environment. And, and the task of the coach is to look at what do I do to create that environment with, within the school? So one of the first things is you model it yourself. So I described that coaches should be the most coached people in the building. You know, if, if you're doing a model uh, model uh, lesson for a teacher, you ought to be coached on it. If you're mm-hmm. facilitating a PLC from time to time, somebody ought to come and observe you facilitating the PLC and coach you on it. And best is have them coach you publicly in front of the people who are in the PLC so that you can begin to get clearer and clearer that that's, that's just a common part of that, uh, of that message. Mm-hmm. They described that the the way you deal with uh, with increasing coachability, the way you deal with uh, 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 the the way you deal with that fear of finding out, is to increase your emotional intelligence. So I, I just pulled three quick things to look at. The first one is is uh, uh, self awareness. So if you're feeling uneasy about being coached, if you can recognize the feeling. And know that it's appropriate to have it. Now, I, I use the example that uh, I, when I would get up to give a keynote address, I, I, I feel nervous, and, mm-hmm. and 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 I know that that nervousness makes me speed up, which is exactly the wrong thing, thing. <laughs> to be doing. I need to be slowing down. So. Once I became conscious and somebody told me, you know, the fear you feel when you step up there to, uh, to give a, a keynote, I said, yeah. I said, well, you should know the audience is having the same fear. They're worried to death. You're going to be boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So if you figure out something at the beginning, like telling a joke, a, a funny story, letting the audience turn and talk to the person next to them for a moment, and the audience settles down and you saw that, that that's awareness. Empathy one really hit me, and that is to have empathy for the people that you're working with as to the cost of you having the fear of finding out. So, you know, I'll raise this teach sometime, like by keeping your classroom door closed and not opening yourself up to colleagues uh, and, and to coaching, is there a chance that there's students in your room who aren't making the progress they could be making if you opened up that door. 
So do you have a sense of empathy for the kids that would cause you to take that risk? And then the last one is beginning to get strategies. So one of my favorite coaching strategies related to this is called worst case scenario. So whenever a teacher is concerned about going down the path of a new strategy, uh, changing something that they're that they haven't done and they're a little worried about it, I always come back to okay, what's the best case and what's the worst case scenario? Mm-hmm. You know, what's the best thing that could happen if you approach this unit through this uh, approach? Now let's go to the worst case, and almost always in a school, <laughs> that worst case scenario is pretty small. Once you uh, once once you go ahead and and uh, and play it out, mm-hmm. so the benefit where we need to be comes out as as collective efficacy. So if you go back to everything I've laid out here as a uh, as a uh, as a foundation, it's building that collective efficacy across the school, teacher by teacher grade level by grade level, department by department, team by team, uh, continually growing that focus that teachers can have a belief not only in themselves, but they can have a belief in their colleagues that we can make the difference that the kids we're serving are looking for. And I'm going to close it out there, Nicole. Oh, I absolutely love this. Enough. I'm so speechless because I am so processing all of this. I've taken notes um, in ways in which I can share some of this information as well um, across the board with with coaches. I think this is it. This is I'm still stuck on the building of the teams and the trajectory. Like I (laughs) absolutely love that. Um, because I'm just a linear person, you know, I, if I can see it, if I can get the vision of where we're going as a team, where we're going in my coaching, um, then I can, I can get it done. So I absolutely love that. Well, realize that all the pieces hang together. Yes. So the te- coaching that individual teacher to take the risk is mm-hmm. part of building the team. Team. Yep. Having the team that's going to support new teachers coming in. Um, it's one real interesting one I'm working on uh, right now with the school is uh, people's PLCs are going to be different next year. They get different people coming uh, on and joining their teams. As uh, some people are shifting positions, it happens to be in, a, in an international school, so some people are are leaving to to take a new assignment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're actually working on what does the team this year do to set the stage for the incoming people who are joining their school in the fall. And seeing that in effect, we're already thinking about those people and planning for the success of those people. You know, that, that, that's an awesome, it's an awesome team focus. And I just always come back to the bottom line, which is our kids deserve that. I appreciate every chance I have to work and learn with coaching leaders like Nicole. You'll find the link to the Atul Gawanda video in the lead into this podcast. In case Nicole's idea of using it as an intro with your staff is something you'd like to do.
I hope you've gained some insights listening in. If any questions have arose, you can always contact me at barclaypd.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, folks. I'd love to hear what you're pondering. You can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Steve Barkley, or send me your questions and find my videos and blogs at barclaypd.com. 